I think for most people, brushing their teeth twice a day is a healthy part of their dental hygiene. I would say having frequent sexual intimacy is a part of healthy marriage, part of healthy relationship. Um, but again, there's a discipline that's involved with that. So there's an aspect of uh, sexuality that when you're apart from your spouse, whether that's for you know a couple hours or maybe longer, of course, that there's an aspect of discipline that can be really healthy. That's also uh, part of your, your healthy functioning as an individual. Welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangacher. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book, Holding the Fort Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and have traveling partners so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite relationship experts to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, my guest is Philips Wang. We're going to be talking about intimacy in the couple, especially when there's geographical distance. Something that isn't always easy to navigate with short reconnection times and lots of time apart. Phillips is a licensed mental health counselor in Indiana, a certified sex therapist and a nationally certified counselor who specializes in couples counseling individual counseling, and sex therapy. He has a mountain of experience in treating sexual addiction and counseling about couple intimacy. I value his compassion, his open-mindedness, and his kindness when talking about this. He integrates Christian values into his counseling, and that too is important to me. I think a lot of people who aren't Christians will share these values. Often I see in social media these days, people saying that if our partner doesn't serve us anymore, then it's worth letting them go. This is not what I'm about. I want to affirm the values of love, as in love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So this is the value that we're basing our conversation on and basically talking about how to live it out in the real life. So, Phillips, I've talked a lot in this introduction. Welcome. And what's your reaction to what I've just said? Well, hello, Rhoda. I so much appreciate your invitation to come on your podcast. I... um... Uh, appreciate the kind words you said, and uh, those things are, are all accurate about about myself. And I, I noticed uh, with your introduction, just referencing First Corinthians thirteen, and I um, that's actually something I, I uh, hope to maybe talk about today as we talk about the idea of healthy sexuality, how that plays out from a Christian perspective at times, but how that we can apply those concepts and values to answer some of the questions that you have today about about couples and how they can live out their sexuality in healthy ways, even if there is some distance. Mm, it's within the context of a relationship anyway, right? Whether you're under Correct. the same yeah. roof or whether you're under two different roofs, how do we live a healthy sexuality? It's tough anyway, right? Sometimes because it's two different people coming together who want to have a good relationship who want to be loved and to love the other person but when 
we get stressed or we get hurt, then there's conflict and then there's history, right? There's like resentment or anger or whatever. So can you just kind of give us the basis of of how we create that healthy relationship and the the basis for a healthy sexuality? Yes, let me... um... Let me talk about uh, what I would define as healthy sexuality, and then uh, let me let me kind of get into that further and describe kind of some nuances of healthy sexuality. Um, so I do have a definition for healthy sexuality. Let me take a step back too before I head into this. Um, yeah. And the work that I do, I, I work with a lot of folks who are presenting with dysfunctions, and I think uh, I think it, it can be in some respects. Uh, easy to identify when things are not going right but i think it's really important to identify what healthy looks like it gives it gives us it gives people a vision of what to work towards and it's been my my i would contend my calling to to teach and instruct and to help people work towards what is healthy uh so i i'm very excited to talk about what healthy healthy sexuality is um Given that, uh, let me let me give you a working definition. Healthy sexuality is stewarding your own sexuality well, personally and relationally, that is congruent with your values and beliefs. So again, healthy sexuality is stewarding your own sexuality well, personally and relationally, that is congruent with your values and beliefs. I like this definition because I believe it's broad enough that it can apply to all people regardless of values and beliefs. The challenge with this this definition is I, I would contend most people don't know what their values and beliefs are, whether they're Christian or not. I would contend for a Christian, their values and beliefs can be defined by biblical theology. And I would say even for some Christians by their, their Christian traditions, which, which may or may not be biblically accurate at times, I would say. Uh, Our discussion today will focus on healthy sexuality and related choices from a Christian world viewpoint. Given that, I think a lot of the the points that we'll discuss today uh, likely can still be applied. And you can simply uh, take your own values and beliefs and kind of adjust the information to see if that fits with your values and beliefs. Mm. For example, I, w- I, would, I would say that a lot of couples, regardless of their values and beliefs, value fidelity in their relationship. You know, mm. they're, they're with this other person, they expect the other person, the other person expects them to, you know, that that relationship is exclusive to each other in terms of sexual functioning as well as other relational aspects. Uh, again, that's uh, just some information I want to start with. And I think it's important to, uh, to also define terms. Uh, so you can better understand like what, what I mean by sexuality, for example. Uh, so my, my plan was to kind of talk about some of these terms uh, just to kind of flush this out a little bit more. Yeah, sure. And then I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with my questions. <laughs> sure, yes. In, in the definition, I use this term sexuality. So let me define sexuality a little bit. Um, uh, sexuality is this, for, for myself, it's this broader idea that defines our longings that propel us into connections with, with other beings. So it's our longings that propel us to connect with other beings. And that being, the, what I mean by beings is, is typically we can think about that as other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be friendships, that can be intimate relationships, that can be a relationship with a higher power. 
this this idea of sexuality also includes your a person's masculinity or their femininity. It can include our sexual desires, our intimacy needs, and and I would say that our sexuality is is that we are all sexual beings. From I would say from a Christian viewpoint, where this is God's design that we're we're made to be sexual beings, and it's it's not just what you do, but it's who you are. That we are all sexual people. That we all long for relationships. And at times we will have longings, uh, and this this can include uh, sexual longings. And I would also say this is practiced by all people, regardless of age or gender. For example, I have daughters, and and maybe one of my daughters is wearing a new outfit, and I will compliment like, "Hey, that looks really that looks really really pretty on you." You know, in doing so, I am affirming her sexuality. So I wanted to kind of lay this foundation of defining what sexuality is. And let me contrast that too with with the model that some of my colleagues developed. They they have a model where they also define what's called erotic sexual behaviors and what they also call true sex and things that might might as well be. And uh, erotic behaviors are typically behaviors that that uh, mental and physical behaviors that are erotically stimulating. They lead up into intercourse. These are things that typically I think for most people they would do in a couple relationship. For example, an erotic behavior might might be you hold someone's hand for an extended period of time. You might you might kiss them on the lips. You might um, you know give them a longer hug. These are typically things you don't do with like a stranger you meet on the street. But someone, I mean, I guess people can do that. But but typically, I think folks who are in more exclusive relationships will exhibit these behaviors. And and the extent of these behaviors are based on what the couple believes, uh, what the couple is comfortable doing with each other. And then we have this other um, area of what's called true sex and things that might as well be, which I'm going to define broadly as any type of sexual behaviors that, that result in an orgasm. So that can be sexual intercourse, oral sex, manual stimulation, orgasm, things of that sort. And how this model works is is true sex that and things that might as well be. If you think about like a uh, like a bullseye, we have three different circles. The model itself uses boxes, so boxes are circles. The inner box is true sex that, and things that might as well be. The box outside of that is erotic sexual behaviors, and then the outermost box is sexuality. And I would contend, based on values and beliefs, it dictates which of these behaviors you can engage in. I would say for a, for a person who typically has a, a, a typical Judeo-Christian faith, folks who are married can practice the box, uh, the true sex and things that might as well be, the erotic sexual behaviors going outwards and practice sexuality. Uh, those who are dating and engaged typically practice the erotic sexual behaviors and sexuality. And regardless of, of relationship status, in, in age, I, I believe all people can practice sexuality. Again, your results may vary based on your values and beliefs, but I would say from a Christian perspective that that fits most people's uh, understandings of theology. Yeah. So anybody coming into this conversation, listening in, really it's about sort of thinking about your own boxes, thinking, okay, what what's, if I think the broader term of sexuality this is where I'm at. Um, these are my values. And then this is what I'm comfortable with in the second box. And then the smallest box, this is what I'm comfortable with. 
And I suppose if you then enter into a relationship, it's really important to be aware of those and saying, because otherwise you won't align with the other person. Correct. Yes. Yes. I, 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 what you'll find in relationships, it's uh, it's oftentimes important to understand and, and acknowledge each other's viewpoints. And I, I think relationships work best when when there's that open communication. Um, you know, I, I mean, ideally, you have similar or the same viewpoints, so you're operating out of places out out of respect for each other. Um, that if this is what you believe, I want to value the things that you believe and and treat you in ways that are congruent with that. Um, and again, with our own healthy sexuality, there's a there's a congruence between what we believe and how we behave. Um, so that those are some some points that I, I think again kind of reflect what's healthy. Yeah, congruence it means like an alignment, right? An agreement. Correct. Yeah. 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 So what well, I mean, the, the thing is, most of us arrive into a relationship with some of the boxes being damaged. Absolutely. Yes. We- so, like, because you know, by by the people we've interacted with. People who have hurt us, wound, internal wounds, uh, shame, violated maybe. So how, you know, I suppose there's a lot of internal personal work to be done. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, uh, I, I would say that for for a lot, if not most, if not uh, most people, is they, you know, life is hard. And, uh, and you know, as, as a person develops and grows, it's it's uh it's often likely that that a person will experience different wounds or traumas, and so um you know it's it's been my experience that people enter into relationships carrying their own hurts and wounds of of their past, whether it was something based on choices they made or things that were done to them. Uh, again, I I think as we talk about sexuality, it's a very complex thing. Um and but but I I I would say that an assumption is we can. As we enter into relationships, we we all enter in, or, or most of us enter in, uh, with some sort of again traumas or woundings, and 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 you know that can make uh, healthy sexuality obviously a little bit more challenging to achieve. Do you think most people don't don't really can't really pinpoint what their wounds are? Do you think it just comes out in sort of how we talk and how we behave and how we? You know, there are courses you can go to as a couple and everything like that. But I don't think I've ever really come across anything where you're doing your own personal work of like figuring out where have I been wounded? What what is what's my healthy sexuality? How do you get to that place? Yeah, so I think I think for for someone who's not aware of these things, um, I, well, let me put it this way. I think it's important to to learn these things about yourself, to be aware of these things. Because um, otherwise, what you're not aware of uh, as you enter into a relationship, to, I, I, uh, from my understanding and from my, I would say even from my own personal experience, you know, when you enter into a relationship, especially a romantic relationship, it's like putting a mirror in front of yourself. Yes. And, and I know, for you know, my experience, when, when I... When I've entered into relationships, that 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 has been my experience, and and I know for myself, I didn't like what I saw. I remember when I started dating my future wife. There's a sense of uh, like like I didn't quite know what I was doing, um, and as I and and so you know I did I what what I did is I went and bought a book. And I'm like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to buy a book and figure out what I'm doing. And and the book talked about hey, when you're dating, it's it's like this this you know, this, this idea of, of looking at yourself. And, and when I looked at myself, I'm like, oh, there are things I'm not aware of. Maybe I should work on these things. 
because they mirror back to you your your they kind of mirror back the inconsistencies the the things that are, are hurtful right and and you're Correct, like oh yes. whoops i didn't realize that i did that <laughs> let, let me give you another kind of maybe an equation that that we can use for healthy sexuality this comes from again some of my colleagues work um, yeah. but, um uh, he talks about this uh, fr from a sexual perspective. Great love making equals a whole grown up person plus a healthy intimate relationship. Or so two great, whole, two whole grown ups, or one whole, one grown up. I, ideally, two whole grown ups. So <laughs> two whole grown ups. Uh, okay. A, a whole, you know, two whole grown up people plus a healthy intimate relationship equals great love making. So there's a there's a maturity there's a uh, there's a, a willingness to work on self to look at yourself in the mirror to to address things that, that you may not like what what's uh, what you're seeing but but I think a, a, a personal responsibility to be as healthy as you can be so you can bring that health into your relationship I, I think that that also helps with with creating healthy uh, healthy sexual intimacy yes. Yes, and for people sort of starting in the middle, say if they've had like 10, 15 years of relationship, I mean, yes. I always like feel like conflict isn't such a bad thing. We we shy away from it. But if it's if there's repair, I think it's just us growing together, isn't it? And sort of, you know, our, we maybe we would have had conflict three years ago that we won't have now because we've each changed. But we got to allow for that growth as well. And if and if we stop at the first or second conflict, we'll never get to the twenty five years down the line. Uh, yes, I, I think I think conflict is inevitable. Um, uh, from my perspective, um, I I believe that when people enter into relationships, you have essentially two imperfect people who are trying to make something work, and I think that requires humility. I think that requires an openness to growing and changing, uh, a flexibility to understanding that that your partner and yourself will change, hopefully over the years, and hopefully become more mature. But but I would I I would say too that part of healthy relationship functioning, outside of just sexual functioning, is the ability to resolve conflict effectively. Mm. Um, the analogy I use sometimes is that uh, healthy conflict is like uh, is like dancing with your partner. And when you're dancing, sometimes they step on your feet. And so you're telling them, like, hey, can you can you dance a little bit differently? Because it hurts when you step on my feet. You're uh -huh. not saying, I don't want to dance with you. You're just saying, hey, can we dance a little differently? Because I want to I want to continue enjoying dancing with you. But it hurts when you're when you're when the, the way that you're dancing right now. Oh, um, that's nice. So there's two questions I want to ask you now is so whole doesn't mean perfect. Correct. So when you say two whole people, it doesn't mean two perfect people. And then the other one is what you do if the other person is dancing completely erratically, stepping on your toes and paying no attention. Correct. Yeah. Or, or I'm sorry, the second part was, uh, did I understand that being a question? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what you uh, do if the other person is, uh, you know, is stepping on your toes and you feel like they're not really listening to you asking them to stop to, to dance differently. Uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Rhoda, uh, uh, you know, we, we can make another podcast on this perhaps, but uh, in, in many respects, I would say that becomes a, like a relationship issue. It okay. becomes a, you know, if, if you're, if, 
if there's something about your partner that's causing you some distress, you know, I think I think it's important to be able to communicate those things. And I think as a as a couple, being able to talk through those things and work those things out, you may be able. You know, some issues I would contend are resolvable as couples, and other other issues may be perpetual. And in that in that respects, you you try to resolve things when you can when you can, and then things that are perpetual, you try to come to compromises with. Because I, I'm asking the question because that will have an impact on sexuality, right? That then you won't want to enter into a physical intimacy with that person if they're not if you feel they're not respecting you. Correct. I think for most people that that tends to be true. Yes, because mm. um, because sexuality is. In, in many respects, when a couple is able to be open and vulnerable uh, and emotionally open, that leads to sexual openness. Um, and, and, and I think that's often the design of how things work. Uh, there's research that I've, I've looked at that kind of points to that as well. So emotional intimacy kind of sets the stage for physical intimacy. You're, you're, it's it's a, a, an opening up further of, of what you started emotionally in many respects. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I I think by design that's that's again just just an extension of of the emotional uh, connectedness that a couple has. Mm. So yeah, it's it's best to try to resolve things the best you can uh, as a couple. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah. Do you want to add anything to this uh, yeah. healthy sexuality? Yeah, one thing I'll say too is is I think as we've been talking about to to a degree is. In, in relationship, in marriage, changes and challenges will occur if a couple is together long enough. Uh, sexual patterns can, can change during the course of a relationship, during the course of the marriage. And this is impacted by different factors, such as having, having children, uh, fatigue, infidelity, whether infidelity is due to extramarital affairs or relationships, or whether that's due to pornography use or, or to other types of addictions. Uh, other other factors can include difficulties with communicating effectively, as we've already touched on to some degree. Uh, another thing that can occur is health issues that 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 a person can develop, uh, regardless. You know, and, and that can occur at different ages. But you know, for a lot of folks, as they get older, you develop more health issues. And so, how do you adapt to those things as you get older, as a couple, and in your sexual relationship? And another issue I'll mention, which I think is a focal point of our conversation today, is is uh, what if there's separation from your partner for, for whatever reasons? Maybe it's due to work. Maybe it's due to other obligations. You know, that can be a very specific factor that, that is another change and challenge of your relationship. And so, again, um, you know, that, that obviously can impact your relationship. That can impact your sexual functioning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think it's really useful to have laid down this groundwork of sort of what we mean by certain terms and what what healthy sexuality looks like, how we live it out as a couple um, before we we entered into these these questions. And um, so I'm just I'm just going to the list. Yeah. So we're going to co- cover a few of these tips or most of these tips for intimacy when apart dealing with using sex for power. And physically, physical intimacy when reconnecting times are so short. I think those two go a little bit together because, well, because of the next question. Dealing with rejection of physical intimacy by one or the other partner when reconnecting times are short or used as a punishment during times when the partner is back. We look at trust 
at being apart, um, does being apart mean that you're in a sexless marriage? And does this lifestyle encourage addiction? So there's a lot there to cover, but essentially it's really about, um, maybe I'll start with a sexless marriage. I mean, when you're apart, like for a year or more, right, yeah. that is, does that basically mean you're in a sexless marriage? I, I, I would say it depends on how you frame it. Uh, but I mean, for the sake of practicality, um, essentially, yes. Um, uh, I mean, it's a, a year is a long time. I, I tell couples I work with who are, who are obviously uh, not separated. Like if you haven't had sexual in- intimacy in a month, you should probably get some help. Um, uh, because I, I think part of healthy relationship functioning, I, I would say part of healthy marital functioning is, is I tell couples, have fun as frequently as you can. Have sex as frequently as you agree to. But that... So that being, because I think those things build connectedness and they give you resilience. It helps you to weather some of the challenges that you may face as a couple if you know that you like each other and you enjoy being with each other. But from a pragmatic standpoint, yeah, being apart for a year and not, not being sexually intimate, that can be, obviously, I would say for most, if not many couples, or many, if not most couples, that that's very, very challenging. Um Again, I, I think the way I would answer this question too, maybe maybe based on values and beliefs, and if I can kind of kind of uh, answer it from that perspective, and, and uh, also kind of give some other ideas. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a, a couple of years back, uh, I was in a um, I was in a small group at my church, and, and uh, I was teaching out of First Corinthians chapter seven, um, and in this book. Uh, Paul is is uh, the the writer that we would attribute to writing this. He is speaking to early Christians in the in the city of Corinth, um, and in that and, and Corinth was a very metropolitan place, sort of like a modern day New York City. Just a lot of culture, a lot of a lot of sexuality, uh, a lot of different values and beliefs. And he says in First Corinthians chapter seven, "Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time." so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession and not as a command. And, and Paul goes on and talks about, I, I think what he's essentially saying is, hey, in the culture you live in, it is there's going to be a lot of temptations to be sexual outside of your relationship. So, you know, as best you can, be sexual with each other, fulfill each other in those ways. Uh, because the the world around you is a hard place, um, you know. Help each other out. Enjoy these things within your coupleship, because things are going to be hard. Um, and so I, I feel like Paul is speaking very practically to to the the, the married couples in in the city. So I, 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 from a Christian viewpoint, you know, I would say you know best you can. Uh, you know, it's it's important to have that that sexual relationship as much as you can. Uh, that that you, both of you feel comfortable to. Now that doesn't necessarily answer a question of what do you do if you're apart and is that a sexless marriage? One thing I, I and just to kind of go further further with this question, two other points I want to make is I think what uh, a lot of couples will find in their relationship, re- regardless of for you know like like decided upon separation or not, is there may be periods of abstinence in your relationship for other reasons, and so for a couple. Let's say a couple is uh, experiencing a difficult pregnancy or there's medical issues that come up. 
gosh, maybe you have a family member who's having a medical issue and you go and be with them and you're, you're, you're that person's primary caregiver for a period of time. I mean, those things will create periods of abstinence in a couple. So, so you're, I, I think a couple can be faced with those questions for other reasons outside of, outside of work um, and, and uh, you know, reasons of, of being apart uh, that, that maybe your, your listening audience is, is typically accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this respects, uh, I remember working, uh, you, know, you know, without giving too many details, I remember working with a couple and, and teaching them ways to, uh, to enhance their sexuality, to, to deal with a dysfunction that they were struggling with, with their sexual functioning. And, and I had the opportunity to uh, talk to this couple later on, and they told me, yeah, we had this unexpected medical thing that came up. And we were, because of this stuff that we learned with how to be, how to be sexual as a couple in healthy ways, we were able to, to maintain our sexual intimacy in ways outside of what, what was, was typical for us. And that helped us to maintain that part of our life and stay connected a little bit more. Uh, which they found to be very important. What you're saying is, if at all possible, avoid going long periods of time without sexual, without physical intimacy, and if you and and try and learn maybe ways of living it in a healthy way together and when you're apart. Is that what you're saying? You know, I can't I can't advise people of, you know, this is what you should or shouldn't do in terms of, hey, you, you shouldn't take this job and it'll take you, you know, far, you know, it'll, it'll create some separation for a while. I, I think what I, I would say is, hey, consider the pros and cons, consider the challenges, and, and let, you know, figure out as a couple, how do you face these challenges? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are things that you guys can agree to? Again, I, I think it very much becomes a couple decision in, in, in the realm of their relationship. You know, know what challenges you'll face best you can. Figure out how you will face this as a couple. Maybe this is not great advice, but I think pragmatically speaking, you know, I, I usually think, you know, a, a lot of people can put up with a lot of things for a year. Yeah. Um, you know, adjust that time frame. Maybe, maybe it's less for some folks. Maybe it's longer for others. But, you know, a lot of people can put up for a lot of challenges for a period of time. And this may be a challenge that a, that a couple can acknowledge and decide to, you know, best that they can uh, meet that challenge. And, and so, you know, I don't want to tell people, hey, don't, don't take this opportunity or this job uh, just because I said so. But as much as, as a couple think through the challenges and how you think you might face them and, you know, as a couple, do you think you can handle this? Is, is the, is, you know, how expensive is the decision in many respects? Um, not just financially, but but obviously relationally. Yeah, um, super important. Yeah. Another thing, another point I'll mention is is um, I believe that disciplining sexuality is, is important. And so again, this this is uh, based on your values and beliefs. But I think in general, um, from my values and beliefs, when I work with pre-married couples who hold a Christian value, um, you know, I talk about chastity. Now, from my understanding of, of what, what, you know, when I read the Bible and, and my, my theology of sexuality, you know, I, I encourage couples who are not married from a Christian viewpoint, hey, do the best you can not to be sexually intimate with each other. And then when couples get married, uh, and, and I tell this to pre-married couples, 
when you get married, do the best you can to have sex as frequently as you would like to as a couple. And sometimes pre-married couples will be like, oh, no, we'll be fine. Don't worry about that. I'm like, hey, if you're like most couples, you're going to face some challenges. You know, you're, go you're, you're probably get going to get busy. You know, you may give attention to kids or your career or other things that come up. And if you're like a lot of other couples, you know, having sex frequently may be something you put on the back burner versus something that you discipline yourselves to have. That's that's a healthy part of your relationship. Kind of like, kind of like I, I think for most people, brushing their teeth twice a day is a healthy part of their dental hygiene. I would say having frequent sexual intimacy is a part of healthy marriage, part of healthy relationship. Um, but again, there's a discipline that's involved with that. So there's an aspect of uh, sexuality that when you're apart from your spouse, whether that's for, you know, a couple hours or maybe longer, of course, that there's an aspect of discipline that can be really healthy. That's also uh, part of your, your healthy functioning as an individual, but also as a couple. Mm, and like discipline and making it a priority and not letting it gradually creep out of your relationship kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. Going back to the, hey, if you haven't had sex in a while, you know, a month is, is just kind of a rough number. But if, if, if it's been a while, you know, you should probably talk about that, probably attend to it. Um, mm. And for couples who've been apart for a long time, that's the that's sometimes the tricky part is, uh, you know, when the person comes back, you know, ha taking the time to recreate that emotional intimacy when you're under the same roof. Uh, that sometimes can and getting back like sinking a bit synchronizing a bit can sometimes take some time oh yes but sometimes having physical intimacy can actually help so it's like a you know you can start with one or the other but sometimes actually having physical intimacy can then help to get back in some sort of a synchronization of being under the same roof again yes yes it can uh, in many respects um uh, you know, you, you can use physical sexual intimacy to help create some of that that uh, that connectedness with your with your partner, with your spouse. Um, so, you, so you don't necessarily have to feel like, oh my word, okay, he's back or she's back, and I I I don't feel completely connected because we haven't seen each other for a long time. You don't have to think like, oh my word, I have to wait till I feel completely connected. You can actually say, no, we'll part physical intimacy is part of that connection, and we can. We can get to the emotional connect, feeling connected through that path. Yes, that that's definitely an option, and and I would say do that out of respect for for your for your partner. You know, understand what what works best for them. Like if if you guys can do that as a couple, and and then kind of proceed with with you know, that transition period of getting adjusted to each other, then yeah, by all all means, do that and enjoy it. Um, if if you if it if, if there's a little bit of emotional connectedness that helps that precedes the physical sexual connectedness, then you know be be respectful to that too. One one thing I want to point out with what we're talking about too is is this idea of transitions. If you've been mm -hmm. apart for a while, um, you know, just being very attentive, uh, being self aware of that tr transition period, coming back together as a couple. And I would contend it's okay to have whatever feelings you have in that space. Um, and I would also say that it's important to create some space uh, so you can give your partner time and attention to to help ease that transition. Um, I, I recall I had a, a friend and and he was doing some graduate school studies and, and so was his wife. And, 
and he talked about when when so they would be apart for periods of time and uh, just because of their studies and when they came back together like he would get really anxious uh uh, just you know, prior to, to meeting with his wife, and uh, and and it wasn't because he didn't want to see her. It was just because I, I just I just think straight up anxiety, um, and and I think attending to those things can be real important. Um, uh, I, I know for myself, um, you know, my my work situation is different now. But when when I when I would be driving home at the end of the day, um, I know for me sometimes I would be very attentive to just even that that transition like heading back into my family, like I hadn't seen them all day. Um, you know, I'm coming in with this very focused, very, very, uh, you know, controlled environment where, where I'm kind of in charge of my whole day. And I'm, I'm entering back into this family environment where I want to be attentive to my, my, my wife and my kids and, and what they're up to. And, you know, there's, there's many times where I, I would just, even with that short separation, I would pray for that transition period. Um, pray that that I would be able to adjust well and things of that sorts. I have spoken to people who have said, like, you know, I'm going to the airport to get my husband. I'm anxious. You know, right, yes. is it, how is the reconnection going to be? Are we going to be the same as before? Uh, they've changed. I've changed. Are we going to be able to reconnect? And sometimes, I mean, I suppose the fear is bigger than the than the actual happening sometimes, right? Sometimes we make all sorts of scenarios. But well, how can we deal with that anxiety of the of the reunion? Yeah, I, I think starting with acknowledging the anxiety is important. And you know, when I talk about anxiety, I know we're going kind of going on a uh, a tangent here, yeah. but you know, anxiety, I, I kind of frame anxiety as like it's not it's not necessarily a bad emotion. It it can it's just it's your Anxiety is like your body getting ready for what's at hand in front of you. Um, so there are situations where anxiety, I think, can be helpful. Um, if, if you're heading into certain like performance type situations, you, you want to be a little bit anxious. You want to be a little mentally more alert. Your heart's pumping faster. Um, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're physiologically more, more uh, ready for what's at hand. And so, and so some of that may be, maybe just excitement, like you're excited to see your spouse. And so you're excited and you're, you're feeling a little bit nervous. So I think acknowledging that and then essentially, you know, maybe doing things to calm it down. Like, like one thing I work on with clients is doing a lot of diaphragmatic breathing or relaxed breathing. And, you know, that's a behavioral exercise that, you know, just working on taking some voluntary intentional deep breaths to kind of just calm yourself down a little bit. And so that may not eliminate the anxiety, but it may help to manage it a little bit, uh, you know, enough that you can head into this reunion with your with your partner and, um, you know, and manage that a little bit better than if you're just letting the anxiety overtake you. Mm. And probably telling your partner, right, would that help? Because then maybe they're anxious too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and in some respects, that can be a shared experience. Like, hey, I'm anxious to see you. I'm anxious to see you too. And Yeah. And, and uh uh, and, and just, you know, and that, and that could be a, I would contend that that's an opportunity for a sweet time of reunion. Mm. Just just kind of having that time with with your partner again and catching up on, on uh, maybe maybe what you've missed out on. You know, maybe you've been keeping in touch during this time, but, you know, it's 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 obviously nice to see someone face to face and have that person in your presence again. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to just talk a little bit. I wanted to come back to the discipline. You, you were talking about discipline of having sexual intimacy. 
Um, but also times apart when maybe you're dealing with sort of longings and desires that can't be fulfilled. And something that you mentioned in a in a podcast I listened um, to where you were being interviewed, um, you mentioned uh, a couple of practices that really help with that. And I wanted to just mention them. One of them was stillness and quiet. Um, having a day of Sabbath, a day of rest, uh, attending to the body, sleep, nutrition, exercise, um, having a rule of life, like getting up at a certain time or having some sort of boundary about something. Yes. And then you had a, a worksheet and then you had other things on the list which you didn't get to speak to. So I'll put those in the show notes uh, because I think that's part of sort of being attending to oneself you know, and yes. one's own needs, um, which I think are important uh, coming back to, to what we were talking about. Um, is there anything you wanted to add to that, to those? Or kind yes, of uh, yeah, if I can comment on, on what you're referencing. So uh, this was a conversation I had about uh, use of spiritual disciplines. Um, I believe it was to deal with, with sexually addictive behaviors or, or sexual addiction recovery. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think I just uh, listed some spiritual disciplines that that are that are uh, you know that can be helpful for recovery, of course. But um, again, this this comes from a from a, a, a Christian traditions viewpoint of, uh, and they're essentially spiritual ways of coping. Mm -hmm. And so whether one is a Christian or not, you know, some of these things may be helpful, uh, but. But the broad picture of what we're attend what we're talking about is this idea of just having having self care activities, having coping acti activities to engage in. Mm. These happen to be uh, very spiritually based. For example, mm. practicing silence and solitude, or or practicing a Sabbath. Um, mm. Again, these are just spiritual disciplines. And again, for for your your listeners, they may just be disciplines or coping strategies. That they use uh, and and to to address yourself individually, if that makes sense. Yeah, so they can use these whether they sort of want to use them as spiritual disciplines or not. Correct. For uh, yeah, these these are these are probably uh, they're you know they they are coming from a Christian perspective. So mm -hmm. someone you know of of that background might find them use you know more useful because they they know where it's coming from, but. But but again, I think some of the the effects of them can be helpful. For example, silence and solitude is a discipline. They they often go together. Um, I, I was talking with someone recently about about application of silence and solitude. They're going on a trip, and and you know looking for just for some time to reflect on 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 things. And and so I mentioned this discipline of, hey, you know, I know that that between this point and this point when you're driving. You can use that time as maybe practicing silence and solitude. You can sit in your car, maybe not have the radio on, and just uh, and just be attentive to uh, uh, just, just to your heart and what God might be speaking to you in this time. And you can use that space to kind of think about what's going on. Um, I may be oversimplifying this. Practice. I'm an I'm an extrovert, so I'm working my way up to it. <laughs> oh yes, yes, and that's why it's a discipline. Right. I, I think the first time someone proposed this to me, it was like, "Hey, sit in silence for five minutes," and I, I set like an alarm, and I, I sat in this room for silence, and it, it was like the longest five minutes. 
Uh, but I know for myself, as I've practiced that over time, it's become something that, that like any other skill, you practice it and it can become more useful. Mm. Um, and what you're saying is, is that it helps with sort of turmoil, right? Whether it's uh, just thoughts or whether it's uh, sexual turmoil or any other kind of inner turmoil right because it helps you to kind of still yourself and stillness and then if you're if you believe in god then you you enter into this conversation with god and god can actually speak to you in the stillness uh correct yeah i think for a christian like like oftentimes i'll tell people um it, you know a prayer that you might have is uh lord uh you're you know here's your you know i'm i'm your servant and i'm listening to you so you're so you're you're entering in with a posture of you know sometimes when we pray we can talk too much mm. and in, the, in this instance it can be like god i'm going to enter into the space of silence let me just listen to what you have to say yeah um and that respects for uh you know it, if we apply it to other practices i mean it, it very much takes on the practice of mindfulness and meditation mm. um, and, and the, those are things that i teach as well like like the whole idea of mindfulness is being self-aware of what's going on in your present Mm. And not fretting about your past or being too worried too much about your future. Mm. But mindfulness practices, uh, you know, can include something like meditation, where mm. you're, uh, where you're, maybe you have some guided breathing, and you're just focusing on what's your your environment and your own breathing. There's mm. different ways of practicing meditation, of course. Mm. Um, but you know, mindfulness, meditation, silence, and solitude—they, they, in many ways, kind of overlap. Uh, they, or they may have kind of similar intended outcomes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> hearing God's voice is a whole other topic because I find that I hear him more when I'm busy, which is odd because normally, you know, people say, oh, well, you hear him in the silence. But I'm learning to hear him in the stillness. And at the beginning, it's like, I don't hear anything. And it's been 25 minutes. And I've been really right. good. <laughs> right, yes. But, um I think it, it comes afterwards once you really, really get still. So um, I'm, I'm practicing that. It's a practice, right? It's not a, it's not a, a kind of a, a one-off kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. And we don't necessarily need to be silent. It, it could just be helpful to that. If you're trying to listen to God, I would, I would say, because uh, I, I, I think it's more our attentiveness rather than just our environment of silence. I think that, that can uh, foster your ability to listen, if that makes sense. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Um, so this is coming all the way back to sort of, you know, to whole people and sort of working on your own stuff. So how do you attend to yourself? Yeah. You know, where are you at uh, outside of your relationship? Um, yeah. And yeah. Can, you, can you bring yourself fully into your relationship? Um, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's obviously ideal when we can. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that sort of uh, helps with that, that that question about dealing with rejection of physical intimacy uh, or being the rejector. You know, I think I think there's there's what you mentioned earlier when there are external circumstances. There might be illness. There might be a death. You're dealing with grief and understanding that at that, those times it might not be. It might be, but it might not be. Uh, a time where the person your partner is available or kind of is in that mindset um and it may just be they may just be too overwhelmed right um right, yes. but but then there are times when you're the person 
rejecting or you're being rejected? How do you deal with that? Yes. So um, for me to understand, uh, how do you deal with rejection of, of sexual intimacy with your partner? Um, I, I would say some of these, uh, you know, some of these questions we may pose uh, can be variations of a theme. And mm. um, in, in this respect, it's like, how do you handle uh, being, you know, having a different perspective, being in a different place as your spouse? Um, and I would contend like this is a relationship issue um, that, that can be that can be expressed sexually, if that makes sense. Right. So, yes, it's a sexual issue, but at the core of it, I believe it's a relational issue. And, and so I would deal with it as a relational issue in terms of, because behind that, that question of uh, dealing with rejection from your spouse, uh, that may tap some, what I would call some, some hidden issues. And hidden issues are typically things that are close to our heart that may be harder to express. Um, and, and they may be harder to talk about in a relationship. These things may include things like how much you feel cared for, uh, a sense of love, a sense of power, a sense of control that, that you may struggle with in the relationship. And so I think being able to deal with the hidden issue of what's going on, um, so, so looking at it not as the event of what's going on, like, oh, this person's rejecting me, but how does this rejection make me feel? Oh, I feel not cared for. So being able to address with your partner, hey, I, you know, it's the, the sex is important, yes, but I feel cared for when we are sexually intimate, and I, and 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 you, you know, I felt like you were rejecting me. I feel uncared for, and being able to express that as a as as an individual to your spouse or to 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 your partner, and then as a couple of figuring out ways to address that. Um, Again, out of a place of love, out of a place of grace, out of a place of kindness, how do we tend to our partner who is struggling with, with these things? Um, does, does that sort of make sense? Yeah, um, yeah, and sort of waiting, waiting if necessarily, if necessary, right? I mean, if the other person is in a place where they're not ready or there's something going on, then having the grace to say, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll help you along and we'll get there together and I'll wait. That's, that's part of grace in a relationship, right, as well. Correct. Yeah, I, yeah, I think grace is so important in, in a relationship that, that we can look out for the other, that we can give them the benefit of the doubt, that we can positively interpret that, that what's going on with them. You know, the way that they're acting or the things that they're saying may not necessarily to us I mean sometimes that they, they are and, and it's good to work through those things but they may be having a hard time for whatever reasons and how do we how do we intend to them and um and, and care for them mm. so it's kind of looking out for the other person can be can be important yeah I mean <laughs> it's the reality right and we hurt each other in the past as well right and then sometimes it has repercussions on our present and on our present the condition of our present relationship, whether we're under the same roof or not. And so addressing those as well. I mean, for us, it's sometimes it's taken us a few years to address it. So I, I don't know if it's really right. important to always be addressing everything all the time, the minute it happens, because sometimes right. it does sort of work itself out through the years as we kind of grow <laughs> and mature and sort of change. Uh, and heal part, parts of us as well. I don't know. Have we covered most of the things about being a part? It's it's not an easy thing. Sometimes I do wonder, like, am I condoning or encouraging a lifestyle that is really 
unhealthy. But I think what I found is that there are really good reasons for couples to choose this. Like you said, you know, there's 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 maybe aging parents to take care of. There's um, kids' education, so you can't be in the same country as the other person, as your partner. There, right. there could be um, um, dual careers. There could be security in the country your partner's in. My husband was uh, in Kabul. Like there was no way I, I was going to live there, but we yeah. felt that it was part of, you know, his skills. His calling was to be there, and we were going to support him, and so we were going to live apart for a while. And um, I think couples have usually have good reasons to 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 do it. Um, I don't know what you sort of as sort of final words as we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, uh, you know, again, again, that decision whether to to live apart from each other or not. Uh, I, you know, that will be, uh, you know, a decision that each couple makes. Um, and and I would contend there's maybe there's no right answer as much as there are better answers that each couple can can kind of uh, figure out. Uh, and and so again, um, you know, I I think I would advise each couple to honestly talk about the things that the the pros of what they're doing, the cons of what they're doing, and to make like an informed decision out of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for some folks, maybe they have an opportunity to to have a trial of of being apart. So, so maybe maybe you live apart for like like a month, and then that gives you a taste of hey, can you know this thing we're looking at? It may require us to live apart for a year, um, and you know you have this work thing for like a month. So let's try it for a month and see how it feels to us as a couple. Mm. Um, maybe you agree to do it for a season. Um, you know, maybe maybe your your kids are older and they're they're out of the home, and and that gives you an opportunity where you can maybe uh, handle that a little bit better. Um, and so maybe it's a different season of your life. So I, I think there's different. Again, for each couple, I think it's important for them to discern what will work best for them. We found that actually um, we'd been married, I think, fifteen years when we when when this situation came up where he was going to I mean he traveled a lot you know in in the previous lease years but we hadn't lived apart and we said we would never do it but then there were good reasons and then um but actually what came out was that we we were in kind of ruts we were in roles that had developed and what it helped it actually helped us to get out of those roles to right, each yeah. grow to each grow separately and to have, sort of have space a little bit outside of our normal sort of way of functioning that we developed and then when we came back together we actually it actually it actually helped us as a couple to Correct. because we we'd both grown we'd both had space not in a bad way but just because when you're together under the same roof sometimes you just get into habits Correct yeah yeah so like like you're saying in, in the case of your husband and yourself you know, that, that time of separation helped you to self-examine the patterns and routines you guys had as a couple. And then I think in many respects, you know, positively figure out different routines and different ways of, of interacting that for you guys was beneficial. Yeah. Um, what was funny, I'll just add this and then I'll let you say some tips and then I know you need to go. Um, but it was so funny because when we got back together after two years, we got back into the same ruts of like it was pretty immediate 
we got, I mean, we, we hadn't been apart two years completely. He'd come back a few times, but it was so funny. Like even in, in physical intimacy, we just went straight back into our old habits, but we had both changed. Yes. And so we immediately kind of went, ah, uh-uh, this, this isn't what I want anymore. This isn't going to work. Or, nah, 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 nah. And so we readjusted because actually we had both grown. So I just wanted to kind of put that in as a, as personal experience. But if you have any tips on being a part, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of two ways I'll, I'll kind of conceptualize this is tips for being a part and then tips for being a part specific to sexual intimacy. Yeah. Um, I uh, had listened to a previous episode. I believe it was episode five with yeah. Um And, and I, I, uh, a lot of the things or some of the things I wanted to share were, were mentioned in that podcast. So I would advise your listeners to maybe if they haven't listened to that to go back and listen to that episode um and again a lot of things that i had thought about were uh were things that she shared or frankly you had shared in your book so uh, i found that to be kind of fun and confirming um but just some tips that i have in terms of like being a part generally as a couple promoting ways to connect emotionally when you're a part and again i think the podcast your book kind of goes into those things some things I'll talk about with couples is like having regularly scheduled check-in times where they have these predetermined meetings where they can talk with each other. Uh, you can do so through, I would say, methods that are synchronous or asynchronous. So synchronous might be things where you're, you're on at the same time, like a phone call or, or video call. Or asynchronous methods might be things like text messaging, uh, writing letters, if, if people know how to write letters nowadays. Um, I guess emails fall under that same place. Um, there's there's an app that I've recommended people use at times. Uh, I don't know if it's international available, uh, if it's available internationally, but there's an app called Marco Polo, yep. and you it's, it's essentially record a video, and then you uh, and then the person can choose when they listen to it, and then they can record a video back, and so that's kind of asynchronous, and then just kind of promoting creative things to do, uh, or or doing creating things to do to promote thinking of each other. Uh, there's this idea mentioned of having this teddy bear um, and each person has a teddy bear and you can have that, you know, you can take pictures of it. You can hug the teddy bear, um, things of that sort, or you have this shared object. Each of you have a different teddy bear, of course, but it's this thing that kind of links you together. Mm-hmm. Another, two other ideas is using the time apart to foster other parts of your life while you're staying connected with each other. So this might be, you know, if you have children, creating meaningful time with them, connecting with friends or family that you might not necessarily connect with uh, if, you, if you're spending that time with your, your spouse or partner, you know, engaging in some hobby or activity or some kind of project, um, maybe doing some kind of project that will require some more concentra- concentrated time that works well during the separation. Um, you know, at times with separation, I will even have couples read like a, a book about sexual intimacy to kind of grow their understanding of that while they're apart. Mm-hmm. Can they do some healing work, some personal healing work while they're apart? Or is that not really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, so whether that's maybe some work that they're doing on their own uh, or whether they're meeting with like a, a counselor or a therapist um, or, or they're doing it through some other means. Yeah, definitely. Maybe you, you can use some of that, that separation time to kind of work on your own personal growth, uh, personal issues, mm. per se. And then um, what was the last one? Um, 
Oh, it was was uh, the last one was what we talked about previous, which was easing into transitions mm. when you're when you're coming back together. Yeah. Um, and so those are just some quick things that that I wanted to mention in terms of uh, ways to stay connected uh, when you're apart. In terms of sexual connectedness, um, I would say for a couple that they define what level of sexual connectedness promotes a sense of love and, and connectedness with each other. And this may range, depending on the couple, they may be okay with sexual abstinence. They may be okay with some sort of sexual activity together, even though there's a distance means. Uh, so think about it as a, as a continuum, and, and that will vary based on couple. So again, make that decision collaboratively as a couple. In regards to that, as a couple, I, I would encourage a couple to, again, collaboratively agree upon practices, sexual practices that reflect your values and beliefs that can help you maintain your sexual intimacy, even though there's distance, even though there's separation. One thing I, I talk about when I work with couples with, with sexual issues is I, I, think a, I think a good rule is to do what the, the least comfortable person is comfortable doing. Um, and I think that sets up a boundary of respect with to your partner. So if there's some kind of sexual activity that, that you would like to do, but they don't feel quite comfortable with, I think it's, you know, I think it's kind, I think it's respectful to, to, uh, to adhere to their boundaries and you can make decisions based on that. So as, as a couple decides upon maybe agreed upon activities, you know, using that, that principle to guide that. As we go back to terms we talked about earlier in the podcast, what erotic sexual behaviors, what true sex behaviors um, are, are okay with the couple. And, and I would say use these things to build a sense of uh, relationship unity and do so in a place I would, con I, I would advise that's open and transparent. I think those lend to better relationship functioning when things are open and honest and transparent. And again, using your sexuality to build unity, not to build disunity. Again, as, as we've been alluding to, allowing these things to be guided by your values and beliefs. For example, I, I, I would say for most couples, like infidelity is something that most couples aren't comfortable with. Whether that's that's with the person uh, face to, you know, with the person doing that with the person physically or doing that virtually, fidelity is important. And so given that, uh, also being mindful of any activities that can be negatively impactful to a spouse. And so, for example, you may agree as a couple to engage in certain sexual activities together. Is that triggering to a spouse who may have a history of sexually addictive behaviors? Yeah. Um, is, that, uh, is that harder for one spouse than the other? And again, I, I think out of a place of respect and care, you know, being attentive to those things. Uh, you know, you guys may agree to do things over video. Um, for some couples, that's okay. For for other folks, that may be triggering. Yeah. And so being mindful of, of some of those risks that are involved, um, I would say too, if you're if you're engaging in, in sexual activities, uh, maybe virtually with each other, being mindful of security risks and privacy concerns. And so, um, you know, what what platforms are you using? Uh, are you recording things? If you are, yeah, you know, I would really make that as confidential as you can make it. Oh yes. Um, and, and again, that each person is is attentive that, that they know what's going mm -hmm. on. Um, it's not like done in secret. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, <laughs> that could be who. Yeah. Bad. So, and 
so so things like that. And uh, one other may, maybe final point is, um, you know, foster other forms of intimacy with your mm. spouse. So, um, you know, maybe maybe the, the sexual intimacy is somewhat limited when you guys are separated. Maybe there are certain practices that you agree to that 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 kind of uh, perpetuate, you know, perpetuate the sexual relationship to a certain degree that that that's OK. Uh, but but also focus on other forms of intimacy, like building the emotional intimacy, for example. So so being attentive to other forms of intimacy outside of just what's sexual. But uh, one thing I'll say broadly, too, is, is um, I, I think sometimes when I work with people and they're wanting to improve their sexual life, I think they're looking for things that are like like tips or positions or. Uh, and, and again, I think a lot of things that I'm talking about, especially in this podcast today, are. Here are some principles to guide you by, um, and then agree upon the principles as a couple, and then out of that you can kind of insert the the sexual behaviors. Um, okay. So I think I'm very focused on here are the principles to to attend to, and as long as the principles are aligned, the sexual behaviors kind of fall under that umbrella. Yeah. How do you promote connectedness? How do you promote respect? Yeah. When you're doing those things, you can enjoy the sexual experience more. Yeah, and you're not going to be perfect. I mean, I was thinking this afternoon. You know, I mean, we're two very imperfect people in a very imperfect marriage. <laughs> but uh, right, yes. but I think it's coming back to what what you were saying at the beginning. You know, it's about personal personal healing, wholeness, growing as a person, and then as the other person grows too, and you kind of stick with it. Sometimes it's about that. Things do change, I think. Things do change and and relationships mature over the years. And I think it is beautiful to get to that point where you're more where you have that true intimacy of it's Correct, it's, yeah. it's 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 a beautiful thing. And I think I, I think we're getting to it. We're getting to it after like eighteen years of kind of understanding each other, giving each other grace, knowing the other person. Correct, yes. Yeah. In in at 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 a very different level than than it was eighteen years ago. It's 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 beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And then I think, you know, being under the same roof or not being under the same roof doesn't have as much of an impact. But I think, I think what I've seen in families who and in couples who make it work is this: they have a, a sense of unity, whether they're under the same roof or not. And that's what I've seen. I think this, the physical intimacy then kind of fits within that broadness because nobody has it perfect. There are things to be worked out um, because, this, you know, it might be fine last month, but this month it's not great. So it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. There's going to be yes, variations, yeah. right? Yeah. Thank you so much for the time that you've given us. Uh, you have a list of resources. I'll put it in the, um, the show notes as well so people can go. You've got books to, that you recommend. You're taking clients, but from certain state, right? You can't take, can you client, do you take clients from like outside of the US or outside of your state? Uh, so I've been doing distance counseling for like eight years. So I understand some of the, the ethics and the, the, the things involved with it. In the United States, at least, my profession is very bound. There's uh, so I, I practice within state lines of Indiana, uh, so it's it's very limiting in that respects, and that's just that's just kind of the limitations in my profession, unfortunately. So I I love to work with people outside of that, but unfortunately, um, I at, at at least at this point of this recording, you know, um, 
I, I'm uh, ethically, legally bound to work with clients just within my small state of Indiana. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Thank you for the insights that you've brought. And um, if any listeners, if you've, uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you feel encouraged. Definitely, I hope you feel not uh, sort of judged or criticized or discouraged in any way. And if you have any comments to share, please do that um, so that we can we can have some feedback as well and hear what your concerns are, uh, what you found encouraging, what you found helpful. So thank you very much, Phillips. Oh, did you want to add something? Yes, if I, if yeah. I can, I just I just wanted to, uh, again, Rhoda, I appreciate your invitation to come and, and, uh, and, sh- and share some of these things with your listeners. Um, I, I wanted to, if I can, just, just comment on what you said uh, previously. Uh, you, you had mentioned being married 18 years and just uh, just a growth and a, and a richness that's developing in, in your own relationship. And, you know, in the field that I'm in sometimes, and, you know, I, I don't want people to just be bound by numbers, but we say kind of anecdotally, like, hey, it can take 20 years to develop a good sex life. What? And that doesn't mean it takes 20 years to enjoy it. But what that means is that as you grow as a couple, as you learn to uh, love each other in these these deeper ways and feel comfortable and and appreciate each other, you know your your coupleship grows, your your you grow as an individual. There's a richness that that occurs, and sex is just a reflection of that richness in your in your relationship. And so, I just want to encourage people to continue seeking out uh, ways of growing uh, individually and as a couple. And to enjoy sex in your relationship, that, in, in my understanding, for my values and beliefs, that's God's design, and that's I would even say worshipful to and enjoy that in the context of your relationship. So, just want to leave you and your listeners with, hey, this is sex is a great thing. It's it's by design, and you know, and enjoy it as much as you can. Thank you, thank you so much. It's been lovely uh, talking to you. Same here. Thank you so much. I hope that you found this episode encouraging and that maybe you found ideas to apply in your own situation. Please leave me a review of what you found helpful, what you would like to hear about, and any other comments you would like to leave. This helps other people find this podcast, and it also gives me feedback, so it's very helpful. Thank you very much, and until next time. 